Welcome everyone to another episode of Settlement Nation. I am Courtney Barber and I'm joined by my co-host again, Chris Buer, as well as our very special guest for this episode, Olivier Talieu. Now, Olivier is a partner and the chief trial attorney at the Dominguez firm with an extensive resume of jury trials in his career recovering tens of millions of dollars in verdicts and settlements for his clients. Olivia has been nominated for Carla's Trial Lawyer of the Year Award in 2017, 18, and 19, and is a distinguished speaker and expert on TBI cases, which we are going to cover today as well. So welcome, Olivia. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to jump straight into it. I did spend some time looking at your bio, and you do have such a huge list of um, verdicts and settlements under your name. As the chief trial attorney at the Dominguez firm, how do you decide what cases you're going to accept or not? Well, you know, we we have a pretty extensive um, intake process. And the the firm itself probably has at any given time anywhere between 2,500 and and 3,000 cases. Um, I handle almost exclusively catastrophic injury cases, uh, whether it's TBI, wrongful death, or, or major orthopedic type injuries. So um, cases that come my way, we know uh, are going to require a significant amount of time, investment, money. And so we uh, we dig deep and we dig deep fairly early on in assessing both the severity of the injuries, uh, but also the potential recourse for our clients. So, Olivier, as we mentioned, uh, the traumatic brain injury cases are definitely a focus of, of you and your firm. What um, what led you to focus so much on those types of cases? You know, a little bit of it was was chance. Um, I switched uh, practice in late 2014. I, I was a commercial litigator for most of my career, working, you know, first um clerking and then at a large firm. And then I had my own firm for a better part of 10 years. And in in late 2014, I had sort of an awakening, uh, made a decision to completely switch and moved over to personal injury. And so when I started, you know, um, beggars can't be choosers (laughs) in a sense. And and I began just trying cases. And and my, um, my pitch, if you will, at the time was uh, any case, anywhere, anytime. And, and I started trying a pretty large number of cases in a fairly short um, period of time. And I began introduced, I, I was introduced to the Mingus firm uh, through a very good friend of mine, Paul Zuckerman, who's uh, Nick Rowley's partner over at CCR, and began working on some of their cases. And, and one of the cases that was given to me fairly early on case that nobody really knew what to do with was a mild TBI case. And, and that's when my interest in, in sort of my practice in that field began in, in learning about what a TBI was, how to work up a TBI case, how to try a TBI case, uh, and ultimately um, how to get a verdict and, and collect on that. And so uh, it was a, it was a very, very informative process uh, through that case, learned a lot about the injuries, learned a lot about uh, type of experts that are involved, uh, worked and got a lot of help from a lot of lawyers as to how to properly work up these types of cases and, and ultimately try them. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. So as a, as a trialer, how much 
do you need to know about how the brain functions versus how much do you rely on the experts that you're retaining? Look, I think any time that you're going to to do something and expect credibility from your audience, and whether you know it's a panel, whether it's a jury, whether it's it's whomever, uh, I think it's incumbent upon you to learn as much as you can about the subject matter because you're you're going to go in front of a group of people, and you're going to have to present facts in, in a case relating to a specific issue, and, and you have to speak from a position of authority. My sort of philosophy in, 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 in trial, but also in life, uh, is if you're going to do something, um, do it all the way. You know, Learn everything there is to learn about it. And so I began to read a lot about um, the brain, learn about the, the different um, injuries to the brain, how they affect uh, people's lives. I mean, I, I went to, you know, uh, basic sort of neurology. Uh, I went to basic neurology school, essentially, to start reading uh, medical treatises, medical books um, on the brain, on the effects of the brain, on the effects of uh, injury to the brain, and and met for um, countless hours uh, with the experts that were involved in the case to learn about all of that. And so it was a you know it was a crash course in uh, in the brain, and it's really the only way I can put it. Olivier, with I've looked at some of your videos and you seem like a very confident person and obviously you would need to be to, to have so many trials under your belt, but what do you think are some of your greatest strengths and how have they helped you as an attorney? You know, I, I have a saying it is that um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And so I think that, you know, obviously there's an innate, um, there are innate, uh, advantages or I should say innate characteristics that uh, can help somebody be a good trial lawyer. But I think ultimately it comes down to the work and ultimately it comes down to the level uh, of preparation, the attention to detail and the knowledge of the subject matter that you're going to present and also of the techniques that you're going to use to present them. So I think, you know, if anything, um, let's just work harder, learn more, um, be more involved, be more um, engaged in what it is that you're doing. And I think ultimately success follows from that. Yeah. So a lot of the attorneys that we speak with, they usually always have a mentor that helped them kind of go up the ladder and, and, and learn everything that uh, they need to know as a, as a great trial attorney. So who was your mentor? And then how have you kind of paid it forward and how have you mentored other attorneys? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I had a, I was lucky early on. I, I came out of law school and clerked uh, on the federal district court here in Los Angeles and also in the Ninth Circuit. And I clerked for two judges who were outstanding jurists. One was Judge Lourdes Baird in the district court. And the other one was Judge um, A. Wallace Tashima on the Ninth Circuit. And, you know, what, what I learned, and I don't know that this is necessarily for trial purposes, but what I learned from, from these, uh, from these experiences is that, you know, both of these judges had a great sense of respect, uh, and civility towards people who didn't agree with them. And, you know, it, it really taught me that, uh, as a lawyer, you, you can disagree with somebody, um, without there being animosity 
or, you know, you can disagree with somebody, but still remain civil and respect the other person's opinions. And I think as um, as I moved on to my career, I've obviously had uh, other mentors in being that I've sort of switched, you know, sort of switched practice areas halfway through my career has given me the opportunity to see a lot of different types of lawyers at play. But really, the, the sort of the, the, the baseline um, started there um, as I moved into uh, the personal injury field. You know, a lot of people um, have helped me. You know, I, I've you know, <laughs> I've had you know countless conversations with people like Gary Dordick, Nick Rowley, Arshamanpour, uh, Steve Verdazarian, and you know a lot of the other members uh, of Cala that have helped me sort of become a better lawyer. And as the years have gone on, sort of my way of paying it back is is to provide uh, complete access, whether it's you know through email, telephone calls, webinars, uh, Zoom meetings. Uh, to anyone who really has a question about any of the issues that they come up in their cases. So I've been pretty active in the listserv, uh, which is a, a message board here. Uh, the Calab runs um, answering questions and, and providing insight into some of the cases that people have. And it is a small world because we just had a rush on Settlement Nation yesterday. So uh, your episodes will be coming out close to each other. But this is another great way that we find that attorneys uh get a lot of insight and advice from the guests that we have when we speak about their verdicts and settlements. So I wanted to chat with you about, you know, possibly two cases that you've had. They might not be your your biggest multi-million dollar verdicts, but starting with one that you really sticks in your your mind as a memorable case, maybe how you how it came to you, how you worked it up and then the outcome of that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the the case that I was talking about earlier um, it is one that obviously um, meant a lot to me for, for a lot of different reasons. So I had um, I had recently joined forces uh, with the Dominguez firm and was essentially given a case that, that nobody really knew what to do with. And this involved a, a 16-year-old uh, kid who had been struck crossing the street by an oncoming vehicle. And you know, on presentation, sort of early on, uh, none of the ER records or the EMT records necessarily indicated that significant of an injury. Um, and what we had seen is we had seen that there had been an impact to the head. Uh, we had seen that there was uh, some prolonged sort of uh, deficits um, that he was experiencing, um, but very little sort of objective evidence of any type of permanent brain trauma. And so the case was sort of handed to me The I think the, the top offer from the defense at that point had been somewhere around like $15,000. But um, like I do in every case, um, I met with the client, I met with the family of the client, I met with the friends of the client and started really getting a picture of what was going on in that kid's life. And what became apparent to me was that he had suffered a traumatic brain injury. Uh, that had been largely misdiagnosed and had been misdiagnosed primarily because of his lack of access to medical care. Uh, unfortunately, you know, did not have um, the type of resources that one would necessarily need in order to really uh, identify these types of injuries. So we, uh, we had him uh, evaluated by a, a neurologist, performed some uh, testing, some, uh, 3T MRI testings, uh, which indicated some 
um, brain lesions, uh, and then ultimately worked the case up uh, and brought the case to trial. And what was really interesting for me, at least from a personal standpoint, in that case was that this was one of the <laughs> this was one of the first cases uh, that I was working with on on uh, that I was working with with the Dominguez firm. And it sort of came at a, you know, it came at a time in my life, which was, uh, where there were a lot of stresses, right? I, I had recently switched practices. Um, I was brought on to, uh, to deal with this case. Um, uh, by the time we got to trial, I mean, we had invested more into this case, uh, than any other case that Dominguez firm had invested in before. So there was a lot of sort of internal pressures, uh, from the firm. There was a lot of, um, uh, internal pressure from myself because obviously I wanted to, I wanted to do well. Um, but also there was a lot of insecurity associated with it because uh, I'd never tried a traumatic brain injury case before. Uh, I'd never worked up a traumatic brain injury case before. And so going into, tri- <laughs> going into trial with both that external and internal pressure uh, made, for, uh, made for a very dramatic moment. And, and, you know, having had, I think by the time we tried the case, I had been in the, in the personal injury field for about a year. Um, and, and it was still, you know, I mean, you know, it, it was still sort of, you know, there's, there's a financial impact, obviously, associated um, with completely switching over your practice, um, essentially been relying on savings and, and uh, litigation funding for a lot of, you know, for a lot of things. So there was this, you know, internal pressure from myself, external pressure from all the outside forces, but there was obviously a, a financial component to it. So a lot of it went into the case. I think before trial, uh, the best offer we got from the defense was about $150,000, which, you know, obviously is very little, uh, even for a mild traumatic brain injury case. Um, we ultimately tried the case. Um, I got to say everything went right. So it's, you know, a lot of a lot of times <laughs> things don't go your way. Uh, a lot of times things do. Um, some of the, you know, in, in that case, most things went our way. Some were by chance, some were by uh, design, uh, and ultimately ended up with a $29 million verdict on the case. Uh, I cried. <laughs> I cried. I was bawling. I was bawling, you know, because it, it, it's funny, you know, you. I don't know. This for me, this was sort of a time in my life where, e- even though I knew deep down that this is something that was possible, um, I certainly didn't expect it, and I certainly didn't expect it so early um, in, in this aspect of my career. And you know, the jury came back and, and they started reading the number, and the, the clerk initially made a mistake because we had a uh, <laughs> we had eco- we had asked for something like. 14 or 15, I forget, 14 or $15 million in economic damages. And the jury ultimately awarded somewhere around $12 million in economic damages. But the clerk read it as like 1.2 million. And then she goes, oh, wait, no, $12 million. Oh, wow. Um, and, um, and like I said, I mean, I was, I was, I was crying like a little baby and, and to the point where the client was sitting next to me, uh, you know, leans over and says, you know, did, did we lose? <laughs> and no, no, we didn't. We won. <laughs> um, 
and it really, I mean, look, you know, for me, this was, uh, there's no question that this was a pivotal point in my career. I mean, there's, there's sort of, you know, everything I did before this case and everything I've done since. Uh, and it really, it's really marked uh, a, a big mile post in, in my career and sort of, you know, that verdict put me on the map and um, created a lot of opportunities for me in the future. So that was a cool one. And, and you know, it's a, it's a cool story. And, and, you know, the client was obviously very happy The the case proceeded. We ultimately ended up resolving the case. Um, what makes the story even sweeter is this was on a, this was on a half a million dollar policy that had been, uh, that had been wow. open as a result of our demands. And so we got the carrier to pay, um, you know, a lot of money out of their own pocket. It's always sweeter. Well, I'm glad they got that decimal place right. Yeah, um, no, I know. I was like, but look, you know, and here's the irony. I mean, before the trial, they had offered anywhere near seven figures. I think we would have taken it. Wow. You know, it just shows you what you don't know. And, and, and I think one of the lessons is, is have faith in yourself and have faith in your beliefs. Um, and, you know, if you think, you know, the, the plaintiff's attorney is always in a better position, I think to value and evaluate the strength of a case because we, we have better information. Um, we, we know, you know, everything there is to be known about our claims. We may not know about the defenses, but we know our client, we know the story, we know the truth. And so uh, believe in your truth. You know, don't delude yourself, but believe in, believe in your truth. So switching gears a little bit, um, I'm always fascinated by what um, really successful people pour themselves into outside of whatever they do. And I know in, in researching you, you have a passion and love for cycling and skiing. So I was hoping you could speak a little bit about that and, and how that helps you as a human and then how it helps you as an attorney being able to uh, have passions like that. Yeah, sure. So I, I got into cycling a little bit later in life. Um, well, not that much later, but I mean, I was in my thirties <clears throat> and you know, it, it, the thing that I love about it is, um, it, 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 it's a comp, you know, it's a comp, obviously there's, you, you compete in, in a, and I've competed in, in amateur races, um, what they call masters, which means 35 or older, but at its core, uh, cycling is, a competition within yourself and, and it's, and it's really mind over matter because you, you know, you, you never truly know what you're capable of until and unless you push yourself to those limits. And, and, the, and the best way that I can, um, the best story that I have to really demonstrate that is I took a, um, a guided tour Well, they call it a guided tour, but essentially you go, you go to the Alps for a week with a group of people and um, I think the total amount of mileage was like 600, uh, 650 miles in six days, uh, over which you do about 60,000 feet of climbing. And on the fifth day, they have this, uh, this ride, this famous ride in France called La Marmotte. By the way, I come, I mean, I'm originally from France. Um, and this is, uh, you know, it, it, it's... Um, a full day ride. You go over five peaks in the Alps. Uh, it's a total of about 15,000 feet of climbing. And it, it's really the sort of the pinnacle of the trip. 
And, and that's the ride that I really trained for. And, you know, by then you've already done something like, you know, 40, you know, 40,000 feet of climbing. So, you, you know, you've got, you've got some heavy legs. And when we got to that day, uh, the organizers of the tour sort of gave us an option. Like, you know, we can drive you over the first peak and then you can start there or you can start from here and, and do the full thing. And there's only about three of us who decided to do it from the beginning. And, <laughs> you know, having trained for it, um, I was sort of determined to do it. Now, I will tell you, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I really take my hat off to you because you run a very successful legal practice and you have time to do these extreme cycling events. So it definitely puts the rest of us to shame. Uh, We're getting to the end of our interview now, Olivier. So I have one last question for you, which is about imparting some words of wisdom to our listeners it could be anything to do with, you know, confidence in the courtroom, how to get better verdicts, or just how to relate to the jury. I'm sure you have some great insight that you could share. So a few little tips to finish this off would be fantastic. Look, I think part of what makes people good trial lawyers is a diversity of experiences, is, is understanding, uh, you know, that life doesn't happen in an office. And if you want to be able to relate to people, if you want to be able to talk to people, uh, whether it's in the jury box or, or any other situations, to, to broaden your life's experiences as much as possible. Um, in, engage in conversation with as many people as you can, people who, who, you know, people who have the same opinions as you, people who don't have the same opinions as you. Because ultimately, um, part of being a good trial lawyer is, is you know, one of the big aspects of trial is, is jury selection, is it, the ability to engage in conversations with people that you don't know and determine very quickly uh, whether you think these people can help your case and not help your case. And so I think to, to, to broaden your experiences and, and be a student of people, be a student of life and engage uh, as many activities, as many different, um, uh, you know, as many different types of, of, of people out there in the world, I think will benefit you. Well, thank you so much, Olivier, for this interview. I think it's one of our best, and it was truly a pleasure to have you on Settlement Nation. For all of our listeners, if you love our podcast, make sure you interact with us, send us messages, give us guest advice, uh, recommendations, and also like, subscribe, and comment on your favorite episodes. We can't wait to share with you the rest of the episodes we have coming this year, and we look forward to sharing Settlement Nation with you.